Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Because, yet again, alcoholism comes into the lifestyle of um, my, you know, previous childhood abuse. I, I lost my childhood. And I've been trying to find the job, um, but here today, like pretty much, it's not just about me, but it's just it's about the whole entire homeless community saying that it's been ignored for way too long. Really, for us, it shouldn't be a a lifestyle routine that we get used to, because in the same sense, I feel like I'm living like an animal. I'm not an animal. I'm a human being. That's 21-year-old Wade, who's been homeless and living on the streets of Melbourne since leaving the foster care system at 16. He was one of a couple of dozen homeless people who set up camp outside the Melbourne Town Hall recently, just as the city was plunging headlong into another cold, dark winter. It was a protest originally organised by a man called Stewie against the campaign the local paper The Herald Sun had launched a few days earlier. Every day that week, the paper featured lots of colour photos of Melbourne's homeless, accusing them of aggressively begging and of turning the CBD into skid row. As a result, incidents of abuse and attacks against homeless people rose and they were forcibly moved on from places they'd been sleeping in, although, of course, alternative lodgings were still pretty thin on the ground. As the group waited patiently in all their homeless glory on one of Melbourne's most prestigious corners, I wandered along to see if anyone was interested in talking about their circumstances. The famous Stewie was AWOL, but I did find a recently homed man who joined the camp in solidarity. He didn't want to be named, but he did leave me with a sneaking suspicion that homelessness isn't necessarily behind him. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life. And in this episode, I'd love it if you would uh, take some time, wherever you are, maybe you're in your warm car, or your warm home, or maybe you're on a freezing train, but with a nice jacket. Wherever you are, let's meditate together on homelessness. Each individual's got a different um, shared lived experience. So mine predominantly was living in the streets in the city, um, in and out of jail during winter, things like that. Um, so for the last two years, the CBD has probably been my main focus. Uh-huh. Um, we've so just... it is true that homeless people will get themselves put in jail in winter? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
This time of year, right now, this weather now, it'll take me 20 minutes. I'll be pinched, and I know I'd get at least three months. Or if I wanted six months, I'd go and get six months. What would you do to get you three months? Well, because of the sporadic crime, and a lot of the times it was just crimes of opportunity, but the last time I got 18 months, um, and that was for a three-pack of boxer shorts and a couple of um, pairs of socks. The thing is, is I've got a very big history of theft and that. And the judges, you know, like they know because it's a common practice. Yeah. And I really, because of the you know the extent of my history, I don't have um, the options of getting sort of um, uh, my sentence to serve out into the community. I always get custodial sentences, but that was what I was aiming for. Yeah. Um, it's taken me nearly three years now just to break that habit. It's been one of the hardest habits to ever break. Yeah. How did you become homeless in the first place? Um, as with everyone, you know, there's a, d- a diverse range of issues. Um, very young, very defiant, drug abuse. Um, and I, I burnt, you know, with couch surfing. I burnt up every option with that. Family, friends, gone through that. Uh, I've been kicked out of just about every rooming and boarding house that there is in Melbourne. Uh, and the honest truth is, it's safer out here on the street. Safer than where? Than the boarding house yep. circuit? Yep. yep. By my oath it is, you know. There's some places out there that are operating, um, you know, you pay your weekly rent, your bond and that, but you've got no tenancy rights. Yep. You don't have locks on your doors. But being, you know, so susceptible to not having any other alternative options, they're the options that we've got to go with. And, you know, after a while, you know, that starts to get into your head, you know what I mean? Like, when you're you know, continually being treated or or categorised into a certain sort of, you know, genre of the community and that, you know, that's who you become. Yep. You know, you lose your identity as, you know, growing up, you know, the, the achievements you did as a teenager, you know, sporting achievements, academic achievements, you know, all of that is completely irrelevant. All it is is, you know, like, where am I going to sleep tonight, you know, my, or, or my sleeping bag, where, where am I going to dry it, you know, like... And on a day like today, I've already been pulled up three times by the covers to do worry checks and that, and I guarantee it's going to happen another time again. And which makes a lot of situations hard because I'm annoyed. But with my body posture and my facial expressions, you know, that gets misinterpreted a lot as aggression, mm-hmm. which mainly escalates a lot of the situations. And, of course, I retort back and forth, back and forth, but a lot of times uh, the situations are escalated purely because of my frustrations. Um, we've been fortunate enough where we've been given the opportunity now where we go out to the police academy, every new police officer and recruit in their first semester of training has to participate in what they call community encounters training now. So there's a diverse bunch of us. There's about 20 different people from every walk of life you can ever think of, religious denominations, uh, different nationalities, everything. And the new recruits get to sit down with that one person and they've got 15 minutes and know nothing about you to sort of work out what sort of person you are, a best way to approach, maybe there's might be some mental health issues, but we give them that, that first opportunity to get back out there and have a go with us, the community. Yeah, wow. So you were just saying before that a lot of the services, um, services that exist on the street are actually supplied by philanthropic people, members of the community, not lately, government. Lately, yeah, the, the shower bus, which has been absolutely phenomenal. You know, they, these guys, you know, they wanted to do something and they were asking, you know, like their local council, what can we do, what can we do? And they just weren't getting the answers that they wanted. So one guy put himself on the street for six months to work out what's needed. Oh, my God. And he, I think two weeks ago, so we've got our share of us, they just delivered one to New South Wales. Wow. That's it. 
Do you know who they are, what their names are? Uh, it's an, uh, um, oh, what's it called? It's, it's um, first, I'll get it for you because we've got it water label as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. the, and all that money goes back into, uh, so all the services, like the salvos come around at night dropping up bottles of water and that. Yeah. Um, I'm spilling, I think, I know his name, James. I'll him down, that's all right. But yeah, it's on Facebook, the shower yeah. bus, but absolutely phenomenal. And it's two showers. Uh, change room, computer, access, Audi you've supplied, uh, underwear, socks, all linen, everything that you need. Um, a lot, there's been a lot of focus in the last couple of months on women. Um, a lot of agencies have identified that a lot of women feel vulnerable sitting around with groups of men. So now they're actually having women days. Um, one, of the, one of the ladies I was working with, with CHP, you know, a couple of weeks ago they took out about 14 you know, middle-aged women out playing skirmish. Good wow, honour. yeah. And it's a bit of freedom for them, but it's also like a, a bit of solidarity, getting yeah. together. and you know. But that was a bunch of consumers that came together and realised that there was things missing. And, you know, like I do feel that, you know, some of these agencies and services do listen when us consumers are actually saying, you know, this is what we want, this is what we need, you know. Okay, this is what you're offering and giving and that, but... This is what we need. This is what we want. You know, we really appreciate everything that you're doing. But you know, it's only since the last two or three years that most of the services that have actually been doing the outreach that they've actually got a real comprehension of what it is like out here. So, when something happens like the Herald Sun article, how does that translate in real terms on the street? What happens after that? God, that poor kid. You know, there's a photo on there, right? This poor kid. He's got one of those pipes, and it's just a photo of him on the front page. He's picking a bumper up out of the cigarette bin. He's smoking tobacco. But they've plastered that all over the paper. His family, his friends, everybody that's ever known him has now categorised him as a drug-addicted burden to the community. The poor kid did nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, these things perpetuate. It all starts with nothing. And believe it or not, you know, a lot of the times, you know, I find the community do have a pretty good grasp of what's going on. But now and again, we get a few derogatory comments, and they're the ones that stick, not the positive comments and that. But a lot of commentary that's been coming from a lot of the services, it's been fictitious. It really has. I don't want to name agencies and things like that, but, you know, like... You know, journalists and that are going to these people for, you know, direct quotes and things like that. These guys are so far up there, the only time they're on the street is when they're going home and coming to work. And it's the guys that are underneath them that have really got their hands on, that know not only what's needed, but they know the community, they know the people, they know the city, they know the services, they know the weather, you know. And when you know that, you know, you get to work alongside everyone, work together. You know, I've got a mum, I've got a dad, I've got children, but, you know, my family's here. You know what I mean? There's half a dozen people in there that have put me up on air couch when you know I was on the street, and there's another three or four in there that got me out on parole because I had nowhere. Yeah, right. And people don't see that how much our community look after ourselves. You know, the services and that are there, but they're there just as with every other consumer. Most of the stuff that gets done here in the CBD, most of it is is through our community and just having agencies giving us the support financially and whatever else to be able to do it. But I feel that in the last two, three years, we're actually winning. Really? Very little, but we're winning. You can never solve homelessness. Jesus Christ was homelessness. But you can create options, you can create choices, and that we have done. Um, Not enough, but we've already initiated it, so it's already started. A movement like here, we've had two different 
places like this, movements like this. There was Ten City down South Melbourne um, and then Enterprise Park as well. Housing services have came into a situation like that and housed up to 16 people. Wow. Now, they've done that twice. Okay. Why can't they revisit modules like that? And they do have the available transitional properties. They are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Streets to Home program that they've got, which is sort of getting um, the first preference on housing, uh, is a phenomenal. Whoever came up with that module, it actually works. Mm-hmm. Everybody that I went through it, and I'm still in it, everybody that I know has gone through it, probably 90% have kept tenancy. Um, and, the other, and the other 10% that didn't, um, you know, th- there was a justifiable reason for that. It wasn't a throwing the house away or anything like that. You know, there's more to someone than just being homeless and putting somebody into a house. Uh, they're a person. You know, they've got feelings, they've got thoughts, they've got you know, perspectives. You, know, you can't just grab someone and go, he's a house. You know? What if it's away from his community or, or, or it's in a, a community that's you know, against his religion or whatever else? You know? so there's a lot of factors to take into consideration. So it wouldn't be easy for the council. But the thing is, is, is this has been going on since day one. And, you know, we, we, we're all prepared to try anything, you know, even just have a try. Yeah. And, I mean, Robert Doyle, that's his office right there. You'd think he'd make the effort to come out to his community, wouldn't you? Yeah. Just cross, even just, just cross the road. Yeah, and he hasn't? No. Yeah. This is his city. This is his town. We voted him in. This is a problem that's affecting his community. Mm. You know, he should be on this. Yeah. As well as, he, you know, they, obviously they've got town planners and they've got other people in there as well. But he should step up too and take a bit of responsibility. Do you know we've only got one shower here in the city? Yeah, right. While they're doing the renovations at living room, we've got the ch- we've got the shower at um, Sellers. That's it. Other than that, we've got the shower bus. If it wasn't for the shower bus, and you're looking at a community between 250 to 300 people, how are you supposed to maintain hygiene? There'd be one shower for all of you if it wasn't for the bus. And if it wasn't for the washing machine, Orange Skies, where would we wash our clothes? Yeah. So the stereotype, you know, dirty, homeless, unshaven men, there's a reason for that. Yeah. You know, and the simple reason for that is is we don't have the, the not even a luxury, you know, the, the basic necessities that everybody else takes for granted. You know, even for us to wake up during the night just to go to a toilet, do you know how difficult that is? You know, but we do take a lot of pride. Like, this is our home. So the guys, you know, they won't walk out, piss on the street or whatever. They will make the effort to go and find toilets and things like that. But I do feel that the city is letting the community down a little bit by not actually acknowledging it and saying, okay, we have a problem. Let's see what we can do about it. And the amount of community agencies and that that have approached us here, what can we do? It's been phenomenal. We've had more people coming up and asking, what can we do for you, than what's this about? So the community, you know, this is this is a topic, and this is something. The community, they know all about it. You know, they know every aspect of it. You know, they know. You know, I understand that they don't understand where the government funding goes and how the housing allocation works. But there's people out there that know. You know, and but like I said, we're never going. We're never going to solve homelessness. But we can create options. We can create choices. You know, and they're the things that that would probably be the best start of all. Or even just acknowledgement. Thank you so much. No worries. And if you haven't had anyone else to speak to, uh, you were speaking to. Was that Lisa you were talking about? Yeah, she's gone over for a meeting. What a lovely man, huh? Lovely, smart, articulate, generous. The kind of guy that 
you would be friends with, the kind of guy you might I, I might hang out with at work. So I switched off the recording and I was leaving and, and a young boy came wandering up who was just so off his face. I mean, maybe before in my life I've seen someone that wasted, maybe never. So wasted in the city, right, wandering around. And, and I, I said to my nameless friend there, I said, oh, my God, look at that boy. Like it's so, he's so vulnerable walking the streets like that, you know? And my nameless friend said to me, oh, well, that was me on Sunday. And I was shocked because I thought, and I even said to him, hang on, I thought you were out of that stuff now. I thought you'd changed your life and you had a house and, and you weren't using and stuff like that anymore. And you weren't going to jail and all that. And he said to me, yeah, I have changed my life, but Sunday was my day off. So make of that what you will. I um, left at that stage just because, you know, he was busy helping people and, and I had to get off somewhere else. I think I had to pick up my kids from school. And so uh, I thought about it all night. And the next day I thought I'm going to go down to Enterprise Park. He'd mentioned it to me before. I knew it was a hot spot. It's a, it's a very popular place for homeless people to camp. And it's also significant in Melbourne because it's a place where a man called Mouse met his end. Wayne Mousy Perry was 42 years old when he was stabbed to death in Enterprise Park. He was stabbed by a 19-year-old former Melbourne grammar student by the name of Easton Woodhead. The well-to-do Woodhead was already, at 19, years older than Mouse had been when he started living on the streets. I mean, if you wrote this story into a, a TV script or a movie script, people would say you'd gone over the top. It was too cliched, you know. But this is true. This, this happened. And uh, there are many memorials to Mouse under the railway bridge down there at Enterprise Park. And that is where I found the famous Stewie, believe it or not. Here's what Stewie had to say. Yeah. Um, it's more a matter of where yeah. to put us all. Yeah. Um, uh, without disturbing the mayor again, which wasn't my intention in the first place, but my hand was forced, considering I wasn't even allowed to sleep on the footpath uh, in the city, and I have nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my home. I've been homeless here for nearly 20 years. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I have an entire family of people here also that I look out for, and try to help in that but um, now uh, what I need to do is uh, separate all the uh, drug addicts and all the other problems from the homeless people so then I can continue my campaign to get the genuine people that want housing housed and off the street. So why have you been homeless for 20 years if there are options to get off the street and get housing? Uh, Well because all the options at the moment are shared houses, rooming houses and all that sort of stuff which uh, a lot of them are in, entrenched in the criminal drug environment. And uh, a lot of homeless people, believe it or not, uh, some of the reason why we live the way we do is so we can remove ourselves from such places and we don't have to be entrenched back in it again. Whereas uh, the housing services uh, are stretched so thin that they don't have space to separate the two yeah. sort of thing. So it's fascinating to me that you, as a homeless person, I oftentimes would think of you as sort of helpless, and yet 
you've really given the shits to the mayor this week, haven't you? You created a huge campaign. Um, yeah, well, it wasn't my uh, intention to annoy the mayor. That's the last thing I want to do. I love my city. I love Melbourne. I love all the people in it. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, everyone's just one big extended family of ours. But, um, yeah, when it comes to a basic human right where someone can't get out of the rain and get under shelter to sleep, I think it's time that someone stands up and uh, says something about it. We are human beings after all, not animals. We can't. We don't deserve to be just herded around the city like cattle. Uh, they should provide, if they can provide villages for the Olympics and all the rest of it, why can't they give us somewhere to go? So would you advocate some kind of um, drug and alcohol testing in a village like that? Uh, yeah, definitely. This is what we're trying to do at the moment. Well, I'm trying to get the other heads of the family to agree to it, to uh, make a dry zone somewhere in the city, as I said, to continue our campaign, to show the mayor and the general public that... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The genuine people that want to be housed uh, are willing to separate themselves from all the other miscellaneous behaviour that goes on in the city to prove to everybody that we genuinely want to be housed. Yeah. I think that is the missing link. I don't think other people understand the dangers of the housing options that are made available to you. It's simple numbers. We've got this many rooms in Melbourne available. They don't want housing. But what people don't understand is what those rooms come with. Uh, Yeah, that's right. You're coming with everyone else's emotional problems and all the rest of it, which is part of the reason why some of the homeless do distance themselves from everybody else, because we do like to live a solitary life. And by putting us in a self-contained unit of some sort with a bed and a sink and a toilet and a, yeah. a cooker yeah. would probably be more appropriate to our needs than actual shared accommodation. Yeah, that makes sense. So how did you become homeless 20 years ago? I grew up a ward of the state. My uh, mother gave me away to the government when I was about five. And then uh, when you turn 16, uh, the government pretty much says, see you later. We don't help you no more. You're on your own. So, yeah, I ended up homeless in Melbourne and now we've, uh, since we don't have a family, we've created one of our own. 
heartbreaking that your mother gave you away. Did you ever find her again? Uh, no, I haven't spoken to her in a long time. But you've got to look at it from both sides of the uh, sword, so to speak. Uh, I see it as a good thing because what I've found and the people I've found through the hard times I've been through, I'd go through it all again just to find the same people again. That's how much I care about them. And here we are in this sort of shadow. There's the pylon down there where a man called Mouse was murdered, a homeless man. How dangerous... And it's not like he was murdered by another homeless person. He was murdered by a random passerby, right? How dangerous is it for homeless people? The dangers, I mean, not from each other, but from the rest of us. Uh, The danger is very real, hence why we're uh, now in discussions of moving the family to a safer location while we continue... Uh, what uh, what we're doing um, and we will uh, let the public know where the family has been moved to and we would appreciate everybody's ongoing support for the homeless campaign if possible and yet again I would like to apologise to the Mayor um, and I would be quite willing for me and him to sit down and uh, have a chat one day if he's uh, willing to do so. Awesome, thank you so much. This is weird but I really want to hug you. Oh, <laughs> Stewie, lovely Stewie from Enterprise Park, just across the Yarra from Crown Towers, would you believe it? And the, the very ritzy restaurant strip below it. Enterprise Park, where Stewie is living at the moment, where Mouse died. I mean, obviously, Stewie is an expert in homelessness, but I thought it's time to get another expert's perspective, the perspective of someone who works to end homelessness. Hi, I'm Mia Friedman, and I have no filter. Not in life, not in work, and especially not on my podcast. Every fortnight, I speak to some of the world's most interesting people about life, their career, and how they feel about things, what makes them tick. From Rosie Batty, I think of Luke. I'm consumed with thoughts of Luke. You know, I dream of Luke. I wake up thinking of Luke. I'm thinking of Luke, even when I don't realise I'm thinking of Luke. To Taria Pitt. Well, the fly was only five seconds of my life. I don't want to let that five seconds tell me who I am and what I can do and what what I can't do in this world. It's the podcast where too much information is never enough. Subscribe to No Filter in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. I've tracked down Deputy CEO of Launch Housing, Heather Holst. Um, so we're one of the services that work in the city, but our um, we've got a, the brief to kind of try and get everyone who's rough sleeping in the inner city of Melbourne somewhere to stay and work with them on a long-term housing solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's um, obviously was a pretty big um, big one for us, you know, that um, media story in the aftermath of it mm-hmm. and you're really trying to work hard with people to get them out of harm's way. Well, it's I mean, so interesting, the idea of getting people somewhere to sleep because the more I talk to people about it who were on on the streets they were saying that that's not necessarily the solution in terms of... um, No. No. So talk us through that. 
Well, people need somewhere that night often. So um, since we started the rough sleeping work in was March last year, March 2015, um, we've seen a bit of a few over 460 people up to the end of April, and that was before all this um, mm. last kind of thing happened, Michelle. Mm. Um, so. You know, people need uh, shelter out of the weather, but that's not the end of the story by any means. So we work right from day one with them on where do they want to be, you know, what what location, what type of housing, do they need to live with someone else, have they got a pet, you know, all those mm. all those things. Um, in some cases, people need to attend to some big, pretty big health issues as yeah. well, um, yeah. physical health, mental health. Um, and so we've got two nurses on the team as well who do the sort of assessments right then and there. So when well. Melbourne's mayor says, well, you know what, we've offered these people places to stay and they don't want them, they won't take them and they, they want to be on the streets, uh, what do you say to that? Oh, I don't think that's the, the full story, no. no. Um, and, you know, some of the offers that um, are the best that the services can do for people, people rightly say, no, that's not, I don't. I've been there. I've tried that. That didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, well, and, and more than one person said to me, it's really dangerous out there, that they feel safer on the streets of Melbourne than staying in some of the kinds of accommodation that that are available to them. That's right. Yeah. So some of the offers were for shared accommodation um, where people can't control, you know, can't lock their own door, for yeah. example. That's, you know, with people you don't know, mm. you know, that's not good enough. Um so the, I've really got a lot of sympathy for the um, make trying to sort of say, look, long-term housing is what we need, and it's pretty obvious that's true. Another person told me that um, he's aware of certain small motels around Melbourne where homeless women are accommodated for respite, where someone will come down and say, look, we're going to give you this room for this many nights. And the motel is also frequented by bikies and sex workers and, and things of that nature. And so... Women, homeless women who are pretty vulnerable are then placed in a situation where they can be coerced into basically more vulnerable lives. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's really risky. We we try our best to work out, because we've got to rely a lot on motels, especially mm. for that short-term shelter side of things, and we try our best to, um, you know, work out what who should go where, um, but there's a few different services using them and we can't necessarily make sure we only send women to that one or we only... You know, yeah. so um, well. Plus, I'm assuming right. they're kind of budget accommodation in a fairly inner city. So, I mean, that right, is always right. going to be a certain kind of clientele that uh, that uses it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this is one of the things the Family Violence um, Task Force has just been um, in Victoria is trying to grapple with too: how to get even those short-term safe places while we are quickly working on the long-term options. So, it's a problem. For people who are sleeping rough and it's a problem for women who've had to leave because of family violence. Yeah. And as you said earlier, some people are walking around with some pretty significant mental health issues and physical health issues that prevent them from being able to take up offers of uh, of accommodation short or long term. That's right, yeah. And so we've got to do both of those things together often. And it's pretty hard to get on top of big health issues um, when you haven't got a stable place to stay that's safe, comfortable, affordable. Very hard. Of the people I spoke to, two of them mentioned um, being made wards of the state as small children and how that led them to situations where they were fostered um, in difficult circumstances and where they were sort of kicked out at the age of about 16 into the world to fend for themselves with without 
life skills. And, and one boy sort of talked about feeling like he didn't really even know how to have a home. Some people have never had a home. Um, it's, it's too common, Michelle. It's still happening, which is the biggest shame, in my opinion, because we know that what that does to people, you know, the ones who survive it, you know, it's, it's pretty bad. I mean, some people who go into foster care, you know, they luck out, they get a good placement and they actually have the family who kind of supports them after um, the age of 16 when, or 18 when they're literally mm. obliged to. But there's a small number of people, normally the ones who've had the biggest um, abusive situations young, mm -hmm. um, who really don't get that stable um, replacement at all. Mm. Um, yeah, so the, the figures in the homeless population of people who've been wards of the state um, are very high, very high. I'm really passionate about this idea that one's sort of birth circumstances and early child circumstances are really difficult to overcome good or bad it's it's sort of I think it can be hard to fail at life when you come from a great childhood and it can be really hard to succeed at life when you come from a disadvantaged childhood what do you think about that yeah I think that's right I think there's a, an amazing um uh stories of people who have got through disadvantaged childhoods mm. um absolutely but the more I've done this work and I've been working in the sector since 1989 now um the best thing we can do is try and create the spaces for um parents to give their kids the best childhoods. I think that's actually the, the very best thing we can do. We've got to deal with um, the consequences that have been created already, obviously, with you know good housing and good services for health and mental health and so on. But um, the best prevention strategy is creating good spaces for parents. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Now, how do you get around the rest of your life when this is your work? Uh, I'm assuming you have to create some very clear boundaries. You can't go down to the city tonight because it's going to be freezing and scoop everyone up and take them home to your place. No, that's right. How, Absolutely. How yeah. do you cope with that, with, with this being your job? I think people work that out or not mm -hmm. quite early in the piece, actually. Um, and for me, knowing that, um, you know, picking a place that I can work where I really feel like we're doing something constructive is pretty important. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, you know, other places I could work in this field and not, I would think, no, that's, you know. So if I can sort of say to myself, well, what I've given that a lot of my energy, in fact, my whole career pretty much since 1989 has been about, you know, improving the services, arguing for the long-term housing. Mm. I mean, it's um, you'd have to, in bad moments, Michelle, look at it and go, yeah, well, that hasn't worked so far. No. But, yeah. <laughs> but frankly, you know, there's some amazing people working in this field and some, some pretty amazing solutions. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you know as well as anyone that there is no end. There is no, probably no solution. Is that fair to say that, that, that a blanket solution that will get people off our streets and into rewarding lives? Oh, yeah. I think, think? it absolutely is. Yeah, okay. yeah. And I think, you know, um, we're a rich country and even with what's been happening in, in Melbourne, um, it's still not all that many people compared to the no. population and the richness of the place. So, um, so what know, do they need then? What are we missing? Well, people need um, more of the low-income low affordable housing, basically, yeah. that they, they can be secure in. That's the missing piece. The, the, and when we got into a real mess in the past, um, there was a massive public housing building campaign happened, but it was only because there was an awful lot of misery. Yeah. Um, and I, don't, I, don't, I hope we've got the sense not to get that low again, really, okay. before we work that out. 
Well, that's really hard for to get anyone to care about, isn't it? When everyone's so focused on their own, their sort of negative gearing and uh, right. getting getting their children into housing, and it's not fair that my daughter can't buy a house and she's thirty and works hard and all that. Is it hard to then get people to to care about people way down the property ladder from there? I think a lot of people do care. They don't necessarily know what to do and get a bit horrified and push it away in their minds, yeah. I reckon. Do they care enough to pay more tax or any of those things, do you think, that, that it would take? Um, I think a lot of people do, particularly um, the younger you are, mm-hmm. actually, because I think you know, the older you are, the more luck you've had in the, by and large, yes. um, in the property market, but it's just getting grimmer and grimmer. And I think a lot of people know um, how close they are to homelessness, actually. Well, that is the yeah. thing. Can you talk us through that? I mean, certainly, I remember reading a statistic once that was like, you know, however many people are one pay away from homelessness. And at the time, I thought, well, I'd be pretty close to that, actually. I mean, I'm fortunate that I have parents who I could go and stay with at any time, but I certainly didn't at that time have any kind of savings that w- would be a cushion for me. I think the, um, yeah, that's right. And I think that actually having friends and family who could help you um, mm. and how long they, they'd be prepared to help you. Because, you know, most people start start with that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, depends on how thick or thin that help is, basically. That's um, it. And you can wear out your one. welcome, can't you? Oh, yeah, that's right. And you get put into a pretty difficult position, you know, where you're not on equal terms and, yeah, you know. So, no, um, a lot of us are are a little bit too close to it, that's for sure. So you've been working in this sector for a very long time. Yeah. Are we we better or worse? I think some things are better and some things are worse. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, basically the housing economics is the problem. Yeah, okay. So the rents being what they are, um, the way negative gearing and the capital gains tax has influenced um, all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if that subsidy was available for actually, you know, the affordable end? How about <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah, we'd be all right then. Um, so I think the housing economics part of it has made it a lot worse. I think the sophistication of the services and what they can offer, like, you know, healthcare straight on, on the streets for people who are, those sort of things were never available. But then hardly anyone was on the streets in the 80s as well, mm. you know. Yeah. So um, I think overall I'm afraid I'd have to say it's worse and it's those large factors around, you know, distribution of who's got a lot and who hasn't. Yeah. Wow. It's not you going know, the right way. Mm. When I planned to talk to you, I did not think we'd be getting into microeconomics or microeconomics. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. And as soon as yeah. you, when you say it, I think, of course... It has a very human dimension. It's not just a dry <laughs> graph on the screen or, you know, yeah. it's actually very blood and bone, Not just an election yeah. issue. Yeah, you're no, right. No, These no. are the people at the pointy end of it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. What, yeah. what, what's your day like today? What do you do today on a normal um, day at work? Well, I'm going to go, go meet with um, some people about the Family Violence Royal Commission and, you know, getting the housing out of that, which is a good thing. Um, and I'm going to have a meeting about the... Um, they're improving the way the application process for housing works, which is one thing, but, um, of course, we need more of the housing to apply for. Mm. So, yeah, that, and, yeah, that, that's my day. Well, mm. thank you on behalf of the community. for. Oh, uh, good on you, Michelle, and thank you for your interest. That's actually incredibly important too, that communicators like you really get it. It's oh, great. good, good. Yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad I could do something because I think this is your... You do it so the rest of us can kind of forget about it most of the year round. So, um, oh, maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. No, well, people do need to 
to make um, whenever they're talking to their MPs, you're more likely to be knocking on their doors right now. Just mention that you think affordable housing matters. Affordable yeah. housing. Oh, and before I let you go, it is cold. It's that time of year where yeah. someone just said to me, well, this is normally the time of year I'd get myself put in jail. Uh, right. just so that yeah. I could be warm and dry and have some food. So mm. what can we do? Should we be taking old blankets to the salvos and stuff like that? What what can we do to help people at this time of year? Yeah, well, no, no, that's a sort of short-term help for sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, if people have got um, donations, maybe money donations to affordable housing agencies, that would be a good thing. Okay. But the very biggest thing is have that chat with your MP, I reckon. Mm. Mm. I will. Thank you so okay. much. Thanks, Michelle. Bye. Bye. That's Heather Holst, the Deputy CEO of Launch Housing. The music on today's podcast has been delivered by Tenzin Choyil, beautiful Tibetan musician living in Brisbane. Get out and see him if you can. Thank you for downloading. Please go to iTunes and leave great feedback and stars and all that kind of stuff that bumps us up the list so that other people will discover us. Please go to my Facebook page. That's what I was going to say. Michelle Laurie on Facebook. I'll have links to Shower Bus and uh, Orange Sky and all that kind of stuff. Thanks to my little podcast team. See you in two weeks. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 